So Acts chapter 16, a little bit of background here. Paul and Silas are in a place called Macedonia. And if you don't know where that is, it's in modern Greece. All right. I love maps. And so, you know, a lot of people get lost trying to find geography. But Macedonia, this is what we call what it was called Asia and Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. Paul has gone through Asia Minor and he hits a little town called Troas and says, wow, where do I go now? Not realizing that across the Aegean Sea, there was somebody crying out for help. So God redirected that cry and says, I want you to hear this man and go looking for a man in Macedonia who needs the gospel. So off he goes and they, they, they end up in a place called Philippi. And four things happen, sort of one run after another, after another. First one is a woman named Lydia gets saved. God opens her heart and clears it out and repairs it like good soil so that she can receive what was being preached. She didn't. She, she already believed in God, but she didn't know how to be saved. She didn't know Jesus Christ. And the world knows about God. Every culture has a religion, has a desire to know and find God. But not very many know Jesus. And they don't know that God became a man and spoke for himself. You don't need priests or bishops or churches to speak. Jesus spoke for God himself. And she heard Paul and Silas preach and she got saved. But not only her, her whole family got saved. They got baptized. They started a church in their home. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. Satan attacked. Every time you attempt to do something right, Satan will make it hard and turn against you. And a spiritual war began. But another woman got saved. A demon-possessed woman got saved and is now two for zero against the devil. Amen. Uh, two uh, women, two lost pagan women have gotten saved. And then Paul and Silas get arrested. It just sometimes doesn't go like you want. On Monday morning, you find yourself in jail. The mob decides to uh, that these two guys are affecting their economy because nobody's buying idols anymore. Nobody's going to the temple to Diana or the temple to Zeus or the temple to Jupiter. They're going and sitting and listening about this Jesus. And so they started losing money. And what do they do? They take it all out on Paul and Silas. They whip them with many stripes and then imprison them. And boy, they didn't just put them in a modern prison. They put them in the deepest a pit of a hole in the back of the prison where there was no light, where there was just excrement, and they just were thrown in there, and then their feet were, were locked into the, the stocks so they couldn't even move, and there they were left in that stench and in that darkness, and uh, they were suffering. And I just, as I said last week, you ever try to serve God, you're going to suffer. It's just you think that. You know, it's the best thing since sliced pan. If you, when you get saved and you start telling people, listen, why don't you come to church? Why don't you read this gospel track? All of a sudden you're fired <laughs> and your, your, your friends walk away from you. You go, what's wrong? This is the greatest thing ever. And you'll find out you're going against the flow and it's hard. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus, as promised, shall suffer persecution. So just put up with it. Uh, just realize, I guess that's the life now, Jesus. I mean. As long as he was giving people free food and as long as he was raising people from the dead, he was well accepted. But when he said, you must be born again, they didn't like it because they thought they were good already. So anyway, Paul and Silas get abused. And the last thing that happened while they were suffering, they sang. This is the point. So let's go to chapter 16, verse 25. Here where we're picking up this morning. And uh, it says there, uh, let's go back a little bit. Verse 23 or verse 22, the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. So it's humiliating. It's public beating. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, I mean, they have been whipped and the whelps on their back are visible and they're open and they cast them into prison, charging the jailer. Remember that guy, this Macedonian jailer. They charging the jailer to keep them safely as if they were the most dangerous. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They locked them in the stocks. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Now I want to talk about the power of praise. Once it changes here. 
there something happened? Did I do something? Can you go forward a bit? Are we stuck? Is John back there? Tony? Uh, Tom? Are you there? We'll just hit the right arrow. Oh, there we are. Okay. 625. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Something was different about these guys because in the normal things, this is not working. Is uh, Would you hit? go to the right now? I'm just going to have to tell you what to do. Always wanted to do that. <laughs> just hit the right arrow for me. Just do that for me. No, just... no there we go. Well, it was working. Uh, yeah, call John, and I'm just going to preach. All right. What is our normal response? Don't look at that, but just give me what are our normal response to pain, rejection, mockery, and defeat? You know what it is? Anger. When somebody's hurt us, we gripe, we complain, we threaten, we yell, we revenge, we seek revenge. Now, God has allowed these two men to be imprisoned in deep darkness. And I mean terrifying darkness. You get thrown in this kind of prison, you, it would be, it would be uh, terrifying. There's no light at all in the room. There's intense heat because there's no ventilation and no fresh air. Their bodies ache, infection is setting in, fever is rising, and they are unable to rest. They're not allowed to rest. They cannot just relax because they're stuck against a wall. Their feet are in stocks. They're sitting in excrement. Rats and insects are crawling over their bodies. And then at midnight, somebody announces, uh -huh, it's midnight, boys, which means six more hours till sunshine, sunrise. These two Christian men made a choice. A choice that every one of us have to make when we suffer. They prayed and then they sang praises to God. That may not seem like much to you, but that was their victory. See, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Praying is casting my burden on him, my feelings, my discouragement, my defeat and saying, Lord, you carry this. I can't carry that. That's prayer. And so the first thing they did, they didn't try to sing first. What was the first thing they tried to do? Pray. They said, God, help us right now. We're defeated right now. We're at the end of ourselves. We have been hurt. We have been abused. There's no one to talk to. I mean, Silas is okay, but he's usually silent. So we're going to talk to Jesus. And they had a long talk with Jesus that night. And then they began to sing. Ha ha, praise the Lord. Words. Uh, they sung from their heart. And they didn't sing uh, a modern uh, song that you hear on 96 FM. They sang praises unto God. They sung about Jesus Christ. They sung about the gospel. They sung about the cross. They sung about sins being forgiven. These are called hymns. Now, when we come on a Sunday morning, you have a great gift given to you. You're given an opportunity to reset your, your heart in, in to, so that you're, the rest of the week you're praising God instead of focused on the, the suffering and the struggle of life. Because when you sing on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. You know what happens when you sing that? You forget about where you're at. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross instead of all of my pains and hurts and sorrows and grapes. How about this one? Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Think about it. Those two men begin to sing hymns. And it wasn't just meekly, quietly like we do on Sunday. They sang so it reverberated through the halls of that dark stone building called a prison. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty states can you imagine the other prisoners what are they singing can you imagine the influence jesus what a friend for sinners jesus lover of my soul friends may fail me foes assail me he my savior makes me hold in the best word hallelujah what a savior hallelujah what a friend saving helping keeping loving he is with me to the end can you imagine seeing that in that kind of a situation they sang loud and clear so that everyone could hear they gave hope to a lot of lost men that night in those prison cells you see they chose to pray when we are in our low point we usually choose to complain we usually choose to fight we usually choose to give up but they made a conscious choice and you have the ability to do it too and that is to pray and say, Lord, I can't do this. These lips don't want to sing. This heart doesn't want to praise. Help me now. Because there may be somebody just outside of this church passing by. And if they heard a joyful song, it might say they have hope. Somebody passing by your house. What will they hear? Somebody you're in your cubicle at work, if you're back at work, and you're sitting there and they hear you singing. I mean, it just attracts attention, folks. You know, the truth is, praise and thankfulness were normal for Christians in the first century. It goes way back. David praised God as a teenager while watching over his father's sheep. He sang to sheep. <laughs> and he played that harp for nobody but the, but the birds and the, the sheep and the wolves. And God took that psalmist, that sweet singer who wrote praises to God and made him king. God said, that's a man after my own heart. Because in that process between those two points, he went seven years in the lowest of the lowest of times where a king, King Saul, tried to kill him day after day after day. And what did he do? He wrote the book of Psalms almost. He wrote praise to God in spite of the sorrow. Isaiah praised God when Isaiah. When Uzziah, the king, died and the kingdom of Judah was in jeopardy, Job worshipped and praised in the darkest of nights during the loss of everything he ever owned. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, after he had had the last supper with the disciples, what did they do? They sang. Just as he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there were people getting ready to take him, and then murder him. They sang. Praise is a result of faith and trust in God. You know, you want proof that your faith is real. I'd like to see you sing when you want to cry. As a matter of fact, it's not wrong to sing while you're crying. It's okay to fear the, feel the emotions. Just make sure you start to praise and thank the one who is with you to the end. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 8. It says, we are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We won't give up. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Then later on in chapter six, he says, as a sorrowful, yeah, we look like a sorry lot, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet we're making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Prayer and praise are a result of faith and trust in God. It often is very hard to do. Psalm 116, 17 says, I will offer unto thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Listen to that word. When I try to be thankful for something, when I don't feel like it, I make it a sacrifice. It's what costs me. I find it hard to do, but I offer it to God. I say, God, I thank you for what I'm going through, even though I don't like what I'm going through. Praise counteracts the pains of life. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. I got to show you this. Hold in your place there in Acts. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15 and verse 15. 
Again, we're dealing with affliction and trouble in Paul's life and in our life. And what do you do? Well, make sure you pray. If you come and you just try and just sing without actually trying to get help from the Holy Spirit, trying to ask God, help me sing, you're going to just die. But if you say, Lord, I want to praise you. You've been good to me, better than I deserve. Help me, help me, help me praise you now. Then you'll be able to sing. Look at Proverbs 15, 15. It says, all the days of the afflicted are evil. So when everything's going wrong, all those days are evil. But look at the rest of it. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual. Wow. They both are in trouble. They both have affliction. But one of them decides I'm going to rejoice. And instead of just defeat, they have a continual feast. Praise counteracts the, the pain of life. Philippians 4. You're still holding your place in Acts. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 4. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. That means every time, all the time. And again, I have to repeat it, Paul says, rejoice. Let your moderation, moderation means your stability during those hurts. Let your moderation be known at all men. Let it be evident that you're going to stay praising God. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, full of care, but in everything, in every pit, in every disaster, by what's the first thing? That's what we need first, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why don't you just praise God for a while? Let your request be made known unto God. And guess what happens? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall stand guard by your heart, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know who wrote that? The same guy who went through the prison here, Paul. And guess where? Guess what group of people he wrote to? The people he had been in prison in. To the Philippians. He was in a jail at, earlier in, a, in, in prison in Philippi. And here when he writes Philippians, he's in a prison again in Rome. And he writes and he says, don't forget to praise God. Praise counteracts the pains of life. But why do, you, why do you praise God? I'll tell you why, because he's worthy. My problem in my life, my disaster, my pit, my hole I'm in is usually my fault. But if God put me in this situation, God knows what he's doing, and I can trust that he's going to work everything out for good. Amen. So why can't I just go ahead and praise him anyway? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, Ephesians 5 says. The prayer is because we, we win in the end. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, yell at you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is the reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets were before you. You're in good company. So the truth is, as a Christian, we win in the end. He says, you know what? I'm blessed if I just stay constant. And when it's a good day, praise God. When it's an evil day, praise the Lord. Now, <clears throat> let me show you the results of stressful praise. Back there in Acts chapter 16. Because... There's always going to be an after effect of praise to God. There may not be an after effect for most of life. You just do what you do and you just, it's just it's the same old, same old. But when you start praising God, something happens. Look at Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loose. Circle those words, everyone's. Because I guarantee you that Paul and Silas, while they were singing, they were encouraged. But they never anticipated what was about to happen. So they're getting encouraged, and then the ground began to shake. And normally, now, in Macedonia, they have earthquakes, right? It's sort of a fact of life. Have you ever seen a map of Greece? They have a million little islands out there in the Aegean Sea. That's because of a lot of earthquakes, okay, in the past. So they were used to earthquakes, but this was an earthquake beyond normal stuff. 
there is, a, there is something going to happen that just was a miracle. First of all, God stepped down from heaven. Remember, when God said, Moses, I want you to bring all of the Jews out of Egypt, and I want you to meet me at a mountain called Sinai. And when we get there, I'm going to talk to them. <laughs> As they gathered around that mountain, there were a million and a half people, and they all got around there. It says the mountain shook, and it terrified everybody, and they all said, we got to get out of here. We're going to die. Don't let him talk to us. It was terrifying because God, almighty God, just touched the earth and it shook. And it was awesome. Moses knew they were safe, but everybody else was in terror. And here, Paul and Silas, when God stepped down and touched that jail, I believe Paul and Silas hugged each other and says, we're free. The Lord has showed up. This is going to be awesome. And there was an earthquake and foundations were shaken. Now, in the, in the previous earthquakes, the, the walls would crack and maybe they had to patch the ceiling. But the very foundation of that jail was broken. They're not going to use that jail anymore. Hallelujah. Listen, the foundations were shaken. The doors burst open. The bolts, those metal Iron bolts that held those, those doors solidly shut so those prisoners couldn't get out. Those bolts exploded somehow, and those doors fell off. <laughs> and then bands became loose. I mean, that's one thing. You say, well, that's because of the earthquake. How do you explain the fact that metal bands around their hands and around their ankles and the very stocks that they were in just bring became open? This was awesome. And it says, every prisoner was set free. All because two men decided to pray and ask God to help them sing. I cannot emphasize this enough until we as a church make Wednesday night prayer meeting our priority and that we praise God, even though it's hard, and we pray for the ability to stay constant and stay passionate about souls and about the glory that belongs to God and living for God and living right until we pray and praise God as a church, we'll just have the same old, same old Sundays. But if we start to believe God, I wonder what will happen. I wonder who will get free. I wonder what marriages will get fixed. I wonder what sorrows will be turned to joy. Verse 27 brings up something here. The keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have what? Would have killed himself. Supposing the prisoners had been fled. This man has the thought of suicide. The jailer is thinking about killing himself. At the same moment that Paul and Silas were full of joy, another man was full of fear and thoughts of suicide. Is it possible that in this room, as some of us sing and we're praising God, there's somebody else saying, I wish I could die. Oh, yes. It happens all the time. This jailer had gone to sleep that evening hearing some of the most joyful, encouraging, restful music ever written called hymns being sung. But now he's awakened by the ground moving beneath him, bolts exploding, men shouting, looking down that hallway where all those doors were supposed to be sealed. He sees all those cell doors open and he stops breathing. Why? Because those prisoners are free and they're free to do as they please. <laughs> and their pleasure will be his abuse. Because you got to remember, anytime somebody turned over a prisoner to the jailer, they walked away and the jailer got to do with them and abuse them any way he wanted. And as he took Paul and Silas and it says, he threw them into that darkest hole and then forcibly set them into their, their stocks and then slammed that door and says, I hope you rot in there. And he never would have cared about them another thought. But now they're open. It's their turn, isn't it? Yeah, some of the religions call it karma. <laughs> we know what it is. It's called you reap what you sow. But thank God these are Christian men. So he's only got one choice, kill himself before the prisoners kill him. And let me ask you, why do you think men commit, uh, consider committing suicide? Can a person get so low in their thinking that they would only despair of life, would actually desire death? Yes. According to 2016, all over the world, not just in Europe, 
But a CDC report reports that suicide is the second leading cause of death of 10 to 24-year-olds. You say 10-year-olds? Yes, 10-year-olds. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. Suicide is common in our wealthy, advanced society, folks. It is common in Ireland, and it affects Christians as well. In 1 Corinthians 18, a godly man, Elijah, went so low emotionally that he just wanted to die, and he actually begged God to let him die. And he was a godly man. Jonah got so far away from the will of God that he just wanted to die as well. And he tried to die several times. When was the last time you said, throw me in the middle of the ocean and I'll be fine? He's trying to die. And God wouldn't let him die, amen? So don't you think you're above the thoughts of suicide? There are five main reasons why people, especially men, consider suicide. One of them is remorse guilt. It is right to feel guilty. It is wrong to stay feeling guilty. If you don't resolve your guilt and the shame for the past and things that you've done and how you've hurt, if you don't resolve it, that guilt will drive you to want to die. That is, that is how it works. The devil loves you to be guilty. He just wants you to stay that way. God needs you to be guilty so you'll cry out to him for forgiveness. Judas Iscariot got guilty after watching Jesus crucified. But he committed suicide because he had no way to get forgiven. At least none that he knew of. Second reason, because of revenge. You wouldn't believe it, but some people can't hurt the person who hurt them except by killing themselves so that they remember, you did this to me. It's revenge. Third reason why people commit, or think of it especially, is because of unbelief in the plan of God. They seek to control their life one last final time. This is there. I'll show them. And what they're doing is they're forgetting that God cares about them and wants them. He gave them life and wants them to live. So few people know and believe that God cares. The Bible says that I read it. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Not only can God do something about your needs or your problems, but he solemnly promises to work everything out for your good if you trust him. Suicide does not believe that God is able to forgive some wrongs. And suicide does not believe that others will ever care or forgive you either. Suicide is because of unbelief in God. Third, fourth reason, because of demon possession. You know who wants you dead? The devil. The Bible says he's a liar, a thief, and a murderer. He motivates people to kill themselves. That's why you better make sure what goes through your head doesn't just get believed. Everything that goes through your head is not of God and not of yourself. Boy, you need a better voice than what naturally goes through your head because there are people who say, I hear voices. I know that. Better fill it with a better voice. You better spend time with better friends than would encourage you to listen to that voice inside of you. Demon possession drives people. And then people are trapped. People find no way other way out. They're in debt. They have health problems. And they figure there's no way out. And guess what? That is a lie. Because, listen, if you're saved, God has never abandoned you. He is your way out. A Christian has a better hope. Paul proved the power of joyful living when he wrote the epistle to the Philippians 18 times in just that little book of four chapters. Paul told them, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Have joy. He says, in whatever situation you're going through, rejoice. Go there. Go to Philippians. Back to Philippians chapter 4. Start this time in verse 11. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 11. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, not that I speak in respect of one. I'm not going to tell you my lack of stuff. I'm not going to complain about not having and what I need and what I want. No, no. For I have, what's that next word? I have learned. It doesn't come naturally. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, in prison or preaching on the street or sitting at home, therewith to be content. I've learned that. I know both how to be abased, which means drop to the bottom, 
and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in how many things? And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and also still to be hungry, both to abound and still to suffer need. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. His words reflect an incredible attitude that he had, especially when we realize that Paul wrote this letter when he was again in prison. He had been in prison in, in Philippi. Now he's in prison again in Rome. And he writes to them and he says, I've learned just praise God. I have a good friend in the ministry. His name is Duke Herget. I follow him. He's probably one of the most joyful men I've ever known. He is a pastor and a preacher. And, <clears throat> you know, he taught me years ago these words. He said, just praise God. I didn't understand that because I was a new Christian myself, learning to be a pastor, learning to, to serve God, didn't know the depths of sorrow, didn't know how low the devil would take me or how low my own stupidity would take me. And he said, just praise God. And he is so right, folks. He is so right that this life is a fleeting vapor. Might as well just praise God through it because <clears throat> we have a better hope. Now, look at verse 28, back to Acts chapter 16. We're not moving very far, very fast, but we will get moving here now. Acts chapter 16, verse 28. <clears throat> this man thinks of killing himself, verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do it! <laughs> you ever seen those, you know, those times where somebody's up on a rafter somewhere up on the top of a roof and everybody's downstairs, down at the bottom going, jump, jump, jump. <laughs> we laugh. That's our society. Paul could have said, yeah, do it, do it, go on. He mistreat us. He didn't listen to us. He didn't care about us. No, no, no. <clears throat> Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Nobody's run. Nobody's coming after you. We do not hate you. Paul and Silas extended compassion on the person who had abused them. <clears throat> After all the evil abuses that they had faced the day before, Paul rewards that man with compassion and concern for his soul. He knew that if that jailer had killed himself, he would fall straight into an endless hell. You see, you know what a Christian believes? We believe there is a hell. But no real Christian wants anybody to go there, amen? I don't care if he is a wicked man. Paul interrupted the jailer's thinking and, and his imminent action. And the jailer looked around and he saw nothing but calm. He glanced again. He didn't see everybody running out and getting ready to attack him. He saw restraint. No one was leaping out of their cells. And then he dropped his sword. He called for light, got a light and ran back to that back room where Paul and Silas has cried out, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he goes all the way back into that back room and he drops down onto his knees and he asks the most important question ever. Look at verse 29. And he called for a light and he sprang in. I mean, he's jumping into that hole. And he sprang in and he came trembling. You know where he is? Listen, he thought his life was over. He thought he was about to be physically abused and murdered and tortured by these men. And in a brief moment, he is in fear and trembling of death. And he doesn't know what's after that. And he's scared and he's broken and he's ready. What do I do? Look at the question. He fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out. I believe I, I kind of read in a little humor there. I think he couldn't stand the stench. He says, well, I, I can't even talk in here. <laughs> and he pulls them out into that hallway. And he said, look at what he did. Look at this flipping jailer who had all power and all authority over all of those prisoners. Nobody questioned. If somebody died in prison, oh, well, that, that was their fault. But he cries out and he says, sirs, did you see what he says? Wow, the thing has changed his his." Experience has humbled him. That's what repentance does. Where he is so at the bottom and he says, sirs, what must I do to be what you call saved? He heard them use that phrase over and over again. You only had one question. He said, I deserve judgment, but I'd like to be saved from it. 
I've heard you. I was down in the market when you were preaching there on the street. I heard you sing those wonderful songs, but none of it ever pricked my heart until now. You know, that's true. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, most of you would say, when did you get saved? Was it because it was a good day? Because everything was going fine in your life? Because you had money out the wazoo? Because nobody was causing any trouble in your life? Or was it because you were at the bottom? And you were at the end. And you were looking for help. And you were looking for God. And that's when you got saved. And this man... Everything was fine. He was in absolute control of his life until that moment. And then all of that gospel preaching, all of that gospel singing, it all came to him. And he says, is it still room for me? It's a great song in our hymnal. There's room at the cross for you. Isn't that wonderful? Think about it. This, this jailer says, am I too bad? Is it too late? Until that earthquake and the danger of dying without hope hit him. He wasn't going to listen to the gospel. But that moment, he says, I'm listening. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Most people die without knowing they're going to face God. So the only answer, Acts verse 30, 16, verse 31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. What was Paul's answer? I think he blurted it out. I think it was the best. I think this was the best thing ever. In spite of all the pain, he was going to be able to win a soul to Christ. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So simple. So simple by design and on purpose so that anyone, anywhere could be saved. Whether you're a thief on the cross whose hands are are, are nailed to the cross. He could not be baptized. He couldn't join a church. He couldn't do anything. And Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise if you just believe on Jesus Christ. If you've gotten so far away from God, no GPS could find you. You can still believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Sinners do not need reforming. They do not need religion. They need Jesus Christ. Because there is a wrath coming. There's a judgment of God coming. Nobody seems to know it, but the Bible in the book of Revelation and the book of Isaiah says hundreds of times we're headed towards a one world government. There is a mark of the beast coming, going to be in the right hand and in the forehead. Hello, Mr. Uh, Elon Musk trying to put in this computer chip into people's heads. And there's going to be one currency, all digital. And there's going to be one man called the Antichrist who's going to take over. And the whole world will gladly follow him and do whatever he says in defiance against God. All of that stuff leading to a battle called Armageddon. You know, the closer we get, the less people believe in it. And yet every sign is there. Every page, every word has been laid out for the last 2,000 and sometimes 3,000 years. And here we are at the edge of that. And you know what? It's the same. You've got to get saved. Because unless you get saved, no man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Paul said that jailer just needed to believe in Jesus enough to trust him to save him. If baptism were necessary to be saved from God's judgment, then wouldn't you think Paul would have mentioned, would have mentioned it? I mean, here's a man who says, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Don't you think Paul would have said, uh, believe and be baptized? He didn't. If circumcision or church membership or good works or prayers were necessary to be saved, wouldn't Paul have mentioned it? He didn't. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace did it, not my works. With all the religions in the world, Paul's words narrows them down to two. Those that believe in Jesus Christ alone. And the rest who believe that we have to become good enough for heaven through our best efforts, through our prayers, through our baptism, through our sincerity, through our religious activities, and on and on and on and on it goes. Now, you can trust your religion if you want to. It's a free country. You can trust your good works, and I believe you're probably a better person than I am. I would never doubt that. You can trust your priest, your bishop, and you will die and go to hell. Jesus said it. Or you can trust Jesus Christ and wake up in heaven when you die. Your choice. 
What does it mean to believe on Jesus Christ? It means to trust him that he will do what he promised to do. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is baptized, is that what it says? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish now, but have from that moment on everlasting life. Will you trust him to keep you from facing God's righteous wrath? You're going to face it one day. You better get forgiven so that it's done. And he says, welcome. John 3, 36 says, he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life right now. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life for the wrath of God abideth on him. John 7, 47 says, verily, verily, I, Jesus, say unto you, he that believeth on me hath right now has everlasting life just by believing it. Just by believing. It. It's not belief that saves you. It's belief in Jesus because you're asking, wanting, yielding to him to save you. It's pretty simple. My belief does nothing except I trust. And Jesus says, then I save. Amen? That's it. I'm not, oh, I got to work up my faith. I got to believe a lot. No, you don't have to believe to be saved with great belief. You just believe a great savior. You just trust him. I use a stupid example of my appendix. This guy's 25 years old. I didn't want him to operate on me, remove my appendix, but I had to trust him. And I found out I had a good surgeon, amen? I had to trust the surgeon. He let me live, amen? And when I got saved, I just had to believe a great savior. And he entered my heart and he saved my wretched soul, amen? You need to believe, trust him that he'll do what he promised. And that his promise is I came to seek and to save. You will, we're going to do it again, believe that he is God in the flesh. See, a man cannot save. I cannot save you. God became a man so he could save you. He, he fulfilled all the expectations of the law. And then he, as a man, died in the place of all of us who are guilty and are just and deserving of God's judgment. And then one other thing I'd like to just point out about that belief, believe he's enough to save a wretch like you. Because, you know, there are different thoughts of people say, oh, well, I understand that Jesus can save so-and-so, but I don't think he can save me. You're the one he died for. He didn't die just for an elite group that he likes. He died for sinners. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 6 says he died for the ungodly. Verse 33 back there in Acts 16 33, two last final thoughts. There is a freedom beyond chains. Look in verse 33 and 34. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed. This is the jailer. He washed their stripes and their, their whelps and their, their open wounds. And he himself then was baptized, he and all his home, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and he rejoiced now believing in God with all his house. That man was free, would you agree? I mean, a man who found himself standing before two prisoners, enslaved to the judgment that was coming on his own sin, enslaved to his own habitual sins, enslaved to a culture that just used people. He's now free. There's nothing like it. Look at how many people enjoyed supernatural freedom they were in that prison. Paul and Silas, they enjoyed it already because they were already saved. Amen. They just went, they just started to enjoy their freedom, even though they were in prison. Then all the prisoners, did you notice none of the prisoners took off and ran away, did they? That's a strange thing. They've heard Paul and Silas pray. They've heard them sing. And then when the earthquake came, they says, no, no, we're going to stay around. Let's see if they sing some more. <laughs> they have been affected so that they don't want to leave. That's freedom. See, everybody says, I can't help doing this sin. I can't help it. You know what I love? I love when a person gets saved. I can't help but want to be at church. I can't help but want to read my Bible. I can't help but wanting to say something to get somebody interested in Jesus Christ. There's a change. There's a freedom there. The Philippian jailer found himself walking arm in arm with Paul and Silas. Brothers. His entire family, the jailer's entire family. Can you imagine that wicked dad? I mean, to be a jailer in that day, man, 
You imagine the abuse his wife heard, uh, dealt with and his children when he'd come home. Ah, those prisoners. Everybody scatter in the home. Terrified of dad. Now he's coming home with two prisoners. <laughs> Says, honey, you're married to a new man. Paul, tell him. Tell him what happened. Silas, tell him what happened. And then his wife started weeping and saying, if that, if that changed my husband, let him change me. It saved his whole family. Freedom. 43 years ago today for you, 42 years ago in June for me. You're my older sister. What about you? Still in bondage? Still stuck in your sinful habits and your bitter spirit? Ah, oh, there's freedom better than just being broken away from, from chains. And then there's a time to move on. Look at verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. Now, so they, they sent a messenger saying, okay, let those two guys go. And the keeper of the prison, they're back in prison now, sold, told the saying to Paul. And the magistrate, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. What a way to talk. I mean, they abused him. He says, go home, be happy. <laughs> Verse 37, then Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. I mean, what a thing. Now they realize the law is on their side. Now they realize not that I realized, now they're going to use the law and say, you know what, don't you ever treat another Christian the way you treated us. We did nothing wrong. And so they've called for, and they could have sued the pants off of that city, couldn't they? They could have brought it up to the Roman army and the Roman procurator and governor and says, this is how we, Romans, being treated by this Roman um, uh, jailer. And boy, there would have been a lot of heads rolling that day. But instead, he says, no, 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 we're going to sit here. Just want to make sure those magistrates, those government officials, those guardy, they never treat a Christian that way wrong again. So he rebuked them, scared them a little bit. When they had uh, uh, their attention, look what it says, verse uh, 38. And the sergeants told these words on the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. Because you're not allowed to do that to citizens, verse 39. They came and they begged them. They besought Paul and Silas and brought them out and desired them to depart out of their city. Can you just go? Verse 40, and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of? Oh, man. Went back to the brethren. And when they had seen the brethren in that little new church, they comforted them and they then departed. Wow, Paul and Silas is beat up and as hurt as they were, they arrive back at that home. And instead of, oh, you don't know what we went through this last night, Paul and Silas comforted the other believers. You talked about what teenagers can do, glad encouragement to others and, and, and the work that we, we tell you, ladies and gentlemen, just coming into church and just singing and just being here and shaking somebody's hand, finding out where people's needs are, taking prayer requests, taking note of, you know, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. They look like they're going through. You, no matter what you've been through this week, you can make a difference in somebody else's life. Amen. You know why a lot of people come to church? Because they're looking for somebody to encourage them. Be that person, would you? You say, well, I, I, my week was rotten. So was Paul and Silas's. But when they got to church, they comforted the brethren. What are you going through right now? Probably there are things out of your control, things where you're trying to do the right thing and it's going wrong. What do you need to do? Pray. Cast all your care, all your hurts, all your abuses upon Jesus and ask him to help you sing. God wants to hear you sing, ladies and gentlemen. Just thank him. Just start counting your blessings. It's the hardest thing Westerners do. We don't do it. But it's the most important thing. Sing. It'll bring back sanity. God blesses you when you sing through the tears. The devil can't stand it when we worship God in spite of our pain. You know why he puts you in hurtful situations? So that you curse God. Remember Job? Satan said to God, if you let me at him, if I can just take away everything, he will curse you to his face, to your face. That's what he told God. And God said, go for it. 
You've got him, Satan. Let's see how. And Job will not blame God, will not curse God. His wife wants to. And Job says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He would not fall for Satan's trap. It frustrates the devil. Try to love somebody around you when you're going through trial because probably you're not the only one. Guess who they met in that prison? They finally found the Macedonian man. And it was because they went through everything. They're finally able to meet that man who's crying out all that time, help. Paul and Silas says, this is the guy. What's the most important question? Sirs, what moment said you to be saved? Do you even know the answer? If somebody ever asked you that, that'd be a great privilege. Could you tell them how to be saved? I've asked people, tell me how you got saved. And 25 minutes later, I'm going. Rrr, rrr, rrr. It takes four minutes to say how a person gets saved, folks. You can do it in three. What is the only answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh. That he came in the flesh so that he could die. Think about that. God cannot die. And yet there he is coming into this world. He says, I got to save you. And the only way to save you is take your place in death so that you can be with me for life eternal. Trust him to do what he promised to do. There is nothing easier, yet nothing more humbling than to admit you're in trouble with God and that you need Jesus. I ask that you would do that this morning. If you're not saved, you need to finally admit, I need Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and bow in prayer? Heavenly Father, we've done our best to watch this thing just unfold in front of us. And we've seen two men do what is nearly, really impossible to do without your help. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you please, right now, speak to somebody's heart about their relationship with you? Lord, what is it going to take? Do they have to have a disaster in their life? Probably. But most every one of us has had enough disasters. It's time for us to go, you know what, the gospel, I skipped, I've rejected, I've mocked, I've ignored, I've neglected. Not today. If I were to die, just speaking for one of you, if I were to speak for you and say, if you were to die today, you would not make it to heaven because you are not good enough. No one is. We are all sinners. We're all separated from God by our sin. Our sins have separated us between us and God. And so God broke through and took our place if we would just trust him and believe on him, cling to him. Lord, if there's somebody in this room who would just say, you win, you win, Lord, please save me. I believe with all my heart. I don't understand, but I believe. Boy, heaven rejoices. Lord, there's, there's, there's victory and there's freedom. And every Christian in this room, God, we're going to go through ups and downs. Help us to be Paul and Silas is realizing the world needs us to have that stability and that joy all the time. Would you please bless this invitation now somebody would make a decision that many people would in jesus name amen grab your hymnal